0: This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel
1: forward-thinking farming.
0: Howdy folks, Carl Jorn here, Pioneer Field Agronomist from Northwest Indiana. I am joined as always by my colleague and co-host, Brian Trader from the eastern side of the state. How are you, Brian? Very good this morning, Carl. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, we have a special guest, a friend of the pod, joining us today, uh, Dr. Mary Gums. Uh, Mary, welcome back to the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on again.
0: Very good. Well, uh, Mary, our listeners are are getting acquainted here with the series that we kicked off with Brian Early uh, discussing uh all things who you are as an agronomist uh kind of the the peak behind the curtain and so we're continuing on that that series here and uh you I said before we started the podcast this morning that uh we consider you the queen of the agronomy team and so uh <laughs> given that you reside in northern indiana uh we thought it was only fitting to have you uh to join us today to kind of discuss who you are uh, where you came from and how you arrived at your station in life today so thanks again for giving us some of your time
2: Oh, you're very welcome. I'm I'm very honored. It's uh, that that that's saying a lot that I'm I'm held in respect by the Indiana uh, agronomy team because uh, you guys are the the number one team in the industry in my book.
0: Oh, well, well, we appreciate that, Mary. So, uh, uh, Mary, in the spirit of getting on with our getting to know your pioneer agronomist series, uh, we've started off. Uh, Every episode with Where Did You Enter the World? Uh, we know that you're not an Indiana native, so maybe tell us uh, you know, your backstory in terms of your upbringing and bring us up to current day.
2: Sure. So I am from Rhinelander, Wisconsin, the home of the hood egg. So that's that's kind of been a theme because I've gotten a I've gotten a, a new a couple of new states added to my territory recently. So I've been Doing my biography, but I'm I'm from Rhinelander, Wisconsin, which is up in the northeast part of Wisconsin. Um, about uh, well, we're probably about three hours north of Madison, Wisconsin. So mm-hmm. definitely grew up in the North Woods. Um, I did not grow up on a farm. My dad was a teacher. My mom was a nurse. We lived in town. Um, but my grandparents farmed out in North Dakota, uh, and we used to go there in the summers. And that sounds like, oh yeah, I worked on the farm every summer. No, I was pretty little, and my grandparents were were retired. But I I still remember being out and walking crops with my with my grandfather, and kind of being in that whole uh, atmosphere. And I I think that kind of planted a seed in my mind. Uh, through high school and everything we our, our school didn't have ffa or 4-h or anything like that and entered the university of minnesota with an undecided major i uh, i wanted to do something in biology but i liked plants better than animals and um i didn't want to be in a lab all day i wanted to be outside and somebody told me to take an agronomy class and i took it and it was the most interesting thing i'd ever studied so i as soon as i took that class i changed my major to agronomy and ended up being one of those odd non-farm kids uh, in the agronomy major at uh, University of Minnesota. So I graduated, I uh, t- I actually uh, interned twice for DuPont, uh, mm-hmm. for DuPont Crop Protection. I was a, a development intern uh, in Northern Illinois with uh, Dr. Kevin Hahn, which was a very, very major formation experience for me. And uh, then I spent a summer as a sales intern out in Ohio with uh, John Sharpman, who's currently the uh, the, the uh, crop protection leader for Ohio and Michigan. And so those two experiences really formed me. And so I took my first job out of college uh, with SEBA, with which was one of the forerunners of uh, Syngenta, and uh, did that for a couple of years. I was a sales rep, which was a, a good and bad experience for me. Um, I was a terrible sales rep. I'm just going to come out and say it, <laughs> that I did not do well in the in the, ke- in the chemical sales field. Um, but it taught me so much um, about being on farms, meeting with customers. Um, I was somebody who kind of schoolwork came easily to. So having something that really challenged me and made me really learn time management and everything, I think that was really um, important for me. So anyways, I uh, I went back to grad school at Purdue. Had a chance to work for uh, for uh, um, Dr. Uh, Steve Weller in the Horticulture Department in Weed Science. So I got my master's and Ph.D. and uh, I had also gotten married shortly before I I uh, entered grad school. So uh, I'm I'm married to a uh, peppermint and grain farmer. So most of my projects in grad school were actually on weed control and mint, and I did my Ph.D. dissertation on applications of remote sensing. Um, to try to develop site-specific uh, weed management for for weeds and peppermint um, using using spectral indices and, and kind of coming up with maps of spray or no spray. And it's really exciting because now we have those technologies automated. And once upon a time, those were things that I did all those calculations by hand as a grad student. And yeah. now, yeah, you upload your maps and they're all done automatically. So um, that 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 really makes me happy to see that. So after grad school then, um, worked for Golden Harvest for a year, and then came over to Pioneer and in June, I will have been at Pioneer for 15 years. And the really cool thing about coming to Pioneer, you know, we were DuPont Pioneer before we were Corteva. Once again, my paths are crossing with Kevin Han and John Sharpman, and it's really awesome to be able to work side by side with the people who were such great mentors to me when I was in college
0: oh that's great well mary there's uh there's a lot of parallels there that um i can draw in terms of my experience and i i i think it's fun that you know you refer to your your first mentor from the Dupont side of things with dr han and how uh, you know you had a great mentor coming out of out of school, and very much I see you in the same light for me. You know mm-hmm. you were my first exposure to the seed industry, back when I was working at the Purdue Agronomy Farm, and we were just having a conversation about those folks today making plans for the summer. But mm-hmm. I I just remember there being a a gal from some seed company that asked a lot of questions uh, every time mm-hmm. that Pioneer had a training, and that was Mary. And uh, then eventually, as I became an, an intern with Pioneer, I got to work under Mary and she had quite the influence on me and uh, my project and ultimately, you know, giving good advice on graduate school and, and finally coming back into the family. So, Mary, uh, without you, I, I don't know what my uh, what my career would look like. So I have you to thank for that.
2: <laughs> well, I'm Mary, honored what? to hear that.
1: What was your geography when you worked for Syngenta? I know I re- met you originally when I worked in retail and was at a Syngenta meeting. What was your geography then?
2: Um, my first, my my first territory right out of college was um, nor- the northwest corner of Indiana. I had Lake Porter, Laporte, St. Joe, Stark, Pulaski, and part of Marshall County. Okay. Yep. I remember that we, yeah, we had our, our district though was Northern Indiana. So we'd have meetings with retailers all over the state.
1: Yeah, that was, I think you actually may have done like either an intern or a early retail sales education thing. And it might've even been at the agronomy farm. I don't remember at this point, Carl, but I met several folks that, uh, worked. Colleagues of Mary's and Mary at those trainings, and so some mm-hmm. of those folks are uh, with Pioneer or Cortev and some of them are other places in the world. I don't even sure. know if some of them are still with that <laughs> old organization somewhere or not. So, no, that's it's great.
2: really well, cool, and it's really cool in our industry how we meet and you keep running, a, you keep crossing paths with the same people, and and agriculture is interesting in that it's definitely an industry where we kind of all, all take part in training the next generation.
0: Oh, that's a, that's a. It's a sage statement on your end, Mary, and I know that's a passion of yours. Uh, You've always been a great resource for, uh, you know, that that next, I guess iteration of of, uh, you know, a company agronomist or a salesperson, you know, always willing to lend a hand with a ride along and, um, you know, a meeting and kind of give your perspective. Uh, so I know that that's appreciated. Uh, one thing I did not realize, and this has been the fun part of our getting to know your agronomist series is I did not know that you and Dan had met um, prior to you going to graduate school. And so uh, you know with uh with you kind of having some of those future plans laid how uh, besides what you decided on your thesis and dissertation how did that inform kind of the rest of uh your outlook on life
2: um so we actually we, we met because we were set up on a date by one of my my, my uh, retailers
0: okay. uh there
2: was a guy who couldn't stand to have uh single people within 50 miles of each other and so so set us up and and the rest is history um, so I really, we had been dating a while, um, before I went back to grad school and, uh, I honestly, when I went back to grad school, I, I had no idea what I was in for. And I, and I knew that, uh, Dr. Weller worked with mint. That's why I wanted to go work with him. And I, I, I was interested in the, the horticulture department kind of covers vegetable production, tomatoes, potatoes, mm-hmm. all of that. And I wanted to see that side of it. And it just kind of worked out that, hey, you need to have uh, fields for for your project, for your thesis, and for your dissertation. And uh, Dan has always been a very good sport about letting me get some of his fields uh, far weedier than any farmer wants to see them.
0: Sure, sure. (laughs) Some give and take in that relationship then, but at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, all all for the good of the cause. Um, Mm -hmm. So Mary, at the very outset of our recording today, you mentioned uh, Rhineland, Wisconsin, is home. So Rhineland, obviously, you know, draws on the the land of the Rhine back in you know Germany and that that area of the European continent. But you talked about the Hodag. I'm familiar with the Hodag because we'd go <laughs> up and see family in northern Wisconsin every summer and go fishing, you know, for walleye and northern pike and muskie. But uh, for those that aren't familiar with the hodag, maybe tell them a little bit about that that legend um, up up in that area of the country. Yeah.
2: So I kind of describe the hodag as looking like a cross between a dog and a lizard. So it's like a green dog with green fur, and it's got horns going down its back and, and two horns on its head and the the it was made it was a legend that was made up by the lumberjacks who were first uh, settling the area to scare the new settlers and so it's become (laughs) our high school mascot if you google rhinelander Hodeg, you will you will see an image of it i think at one point we might have been voted uh, uh, espn's ugliest high school mascot
0: (laughs) that's great
1: (laughs) Justin as a side, Carl, I did this because I was curious where Rhinelander, Wisconsin was located. When you put Rhinelander in Google Maps, the photo is of what Mary just described to a T. Of the hodag. Uh-huh. It is of the hodag. So yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, On this great. really nice rocky perch. It's really nice.
2: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's the big hodag at the at the, the southern entrance to the town. So yeah, there's there's lots of lots of people uh, taking their picture in front of it.
1: There's Hodag Dome. There's Hodag Park. They they're very yeah. proud of their Hodag, apparently. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Even as the uh, the calling sign, I guess, for radio stations too. You know, listening to Hodag country music. You know, there's oh, yeah, yeah, there's there's all yeah. good stuff that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, Mary you said, did not grow up. On a farm, necessarily caught the agronomy bug in college. You know, had a had some industry experience before going back to graduate school. Married a farmer, settled in you know northern Indiana. Uh, became the seed agronomist, uh, specializing at at one point more on the on the product advancement side of things. That's where I got to know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, your passion for uh, you know good sound advancement. Uh, you know, processes w- was very much a part of, I guess, who you are and and the pride I think you take in pioneering the portfolio that sales reps uh, sell and what pioneer customers experience here and you're out. Maybe uh, share with the audience where that came from because I think you speak to it very well when uh, when with customers and in groups.
2: So thanks, Carl. that yeah, that was I, I really enjoyed being a pioneer product agronomist. and. Uh, the way my career with Pioneer has gone is I, I started um, in the role that was called area agronomist, um, which had both a product and a, a customer and field focus. And um, back in 2010, we started the impact program. So before that, we would get uh, new products that were being considered by the breeders, um, and, and we'd put them into plots that, that look a lot like our show plots that you see um, at, at your sales reps uh, place. Um, that they were long strips and you know, they might have nine or ten commercial products and two or three experimental products. What we decided to do was we went to a program that we called Impact, which is like intensively managed uh, intensively managed plots for agronomic characterization and training. I still remember that there, there is a meaning behind <laughs> that uh, acronym. Um, and that's where we had we started putting out our um, new products, in, in bigger sets. So we had a, a research planter that would go out and plant them and we would have 40, 40 feet and eight rows of each product. And so we'd have not only the, the new products um, but also our commercial checks to see how we were doing compared to to our current lineup and a couple of key competitors as well. And what this did was a pioneers research engine had really been ramping up. So we had way more new products to look at than we could ask somebody to put in an on-farm plot. Um, I don't think that there, there was one year I, we had you know, 70 or 80 new products to look at. And I don't think that there's any rep who would, who would wanna put out a 70 or 80 uh, hybrid plot set, not to yeah. mention how do you keep that even? And so, by putting things out um, in impact plots, uh, we uh, we we were able to keep the quality of the plot up a lot too. So we'd have very uniform soils. Everything in the plot was given an equal chance of winning. Plus, we had some we we had a have a method of uh, putting checks out there um, that let us really track any um, any spatial variation that goes on in those mm-hmm. plots. And we had so we had a lot more of them too, and so that made product advancement really, really well run and really statistically sound. And uh, impact is really good for finding finding the product that is really going to be a standout. Um, I remember uh, back in two thousand thirteen there was this product that just was out yielding everything that we had by a lot. And uh, it it eventually got the name 1197. And so it's really, really cool to see new stuff like that. And then for a while, 1197 just won every plot that we had. And then summer of 2017 was my last year of, of uh, being a product agronomist. And I joked in 2015 and 2016, I think I had made my um, template for my impact cooperators to just say 1197 when your plot because it was always winning. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, we've got all these brand new products that are out yielding 1197. It's like oh my gosh, we're seeing the next generation, and that is so exciting. And it was it was a fun job too because At the beginning of the season, everything comes up, it looks like corn. And by the end of the season, every product looks different to you. You know all of its quirks and 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 everything it's going to do um brian early and i used to give a lot of nicknames which we got told not to give nicknames anymore because that's the kiss of death for a product we had one called 007 that of course got named james bond and then it it -hmm. looked so beautiful and it crashed and died during uh during advancement um (laughs) but yeah the agronomists we we really get attached to those products so uh the the plan kind of goes the the breeders come up with them they hand the hand the products off to the product agronomist. We try our hardest to break them and see what the best ones coming out are. And those very best ones then get a pioneer name and uh, get put in the bag. And that's what you see on your farm
0: yeah. I, as an as an individual that was still learning the ropes of the seed industry even a few years in before you know having the opportunity to become a commercial agronomist, i I just remember being dumbfounded on how much knowledge the pioneer team was able to garner about these about these products as they came out of advancement you know this one doesn't like wet feet this one's going to handle you know uh, drought conditions early mm-hmm. on or drought conditions late uh this one I I think would have a good response to a fungicide application this one has you know good early roots watch the late roots all this stuff and I just remember thinking gosh h- how on earth could anybody learn all of that about a product um but just to your point it's we get some of that information from the breeding team which is based on our knowledge mm-hmm. of our own germplasm but then you 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 vet that out, you get to walk those plots, mm-hmm. um, you know, day in and day out for a couple of years before it ever gets into the sales team's hands. And, and that's where that, you know, vast amount of knowledge is accumulated. And then the most important part is that it gets transferred, you know, that it that mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, engaged with the people that need to know all that stuff about it, because I think that's what really separates uh, the Pioneer brand from a lot of other seed brands in the industry. It is that intimacy of knowledge about our products. It's, We don't sell you go anywhere corn because we're not really sure where it should or shouldn't go. We sell you corn Mm -hmm. that, you know, has a home where it's going to thrive and then conditions that it'll it'll do just fine. in. but if you really want to get tactful with uh, your placement and really optimize your your performance and potential, that that's where I guess I would say Pioneer really thrives. Mm -hmm. So. Mary, you you covered uh, the geography that I cover today, which is really fun because we know you you give me you know some of the growers and the <laughs> the backstories and their relationship with you. Um, so that's that's a fun experience. Uh, you've also uh, internally earned some designations of of being an expert, maybe not because you wanted to, but just the nature <laughs> of the the geography that you served you, you know you found yourself there. Maybe, um, maybe speak to the audience about what you consider yourself uh, the world's foremost expert on, or at least uh, on this podcast, you could consider yourself that way.
2: I am queen of the soybean cyst nematode. Um, that that's something that started just from having having Northwest Indiana as my geography, and and being a farmer in Northwest Indiana. You know, the part of the world we're in, we have twenty seven different words to describe sand. We've got a lot of cyst nematode pressure and. Um, because we, we had cyst, pre- cyst pressure starting so early, we're starting to see breaks in the most common form of cyst resistance that we have. Okay, so most soybean varieties have a cyst nematode resistance called um, PI-88788. And uh, that it's worked great, um, but we've been using it long enough that like any trait, uh, the pest starts to adapt to it. So we also have another um, soybean resistance trait called the Peking trait. And Peking has kind of gotten a bad rap in the past because it's a tougher trait to work with. It's on more than one gene. And so when you cross, when you cross the parents, um, not all of the uh, offspring carry the, the, the Peking trait. So you have to have a big breeding program to begin with to get enough Peking um, lines to be able to go out and, and put those out in the field and say, hey, agronomic wise, which of these are acceptable to use? And then yield wise, which of these are going to be really good even they, even with the Peking trait. And so we've been really lucky with Pioneer that um, our breeding program is big enough and our, our soybean breeders have really kind of perfected their craft that we've got a lot of great Peking varieties um, that do well in these high cyst pressure fields. And now we've got a new trait also that we can rotate with 88788. So I've been one of the projects that I've worked on a lot is uh, helping coordinate all the cyst nematode testing we do across the country. So we can uh, bring, we can give some good information back to uh, to our customers and also to other organizations like the Cyst Nematode Coalition um, of, of where these hot spots are. And, and what's going on and then you couple that with uh our with uh, Olivo, um which isn't our product but we we market it quite a bit and use it on our soybeans um that gives us some protection from uh, scN and and we can really bring uh, a, a big uh, benefit to a customer that that has a major economic uh, problem on their farm so. So yeah, so I work a lot on that. I work a lot with corn nematodes. So I guess I'm kind of the nematode queen. Um, again, mm-hmm. we have product Lumialza, which is really exciting to see. Um, again, sandy soil in Northwest Indiana, we're at risk for all types of nematodes, and that Lumialza product is just amazing. So I've been coordinating a lot of the uh, the sampling that we've done across the country to sample for corn nematodes and it, w- it was a problem that used to be thought of that was just on sandy soils. And now that we've we've tested so far across the Midwest, we're finding, no, there, there's nematodes virtually everywhere. And I think when you're on some sandy soils like Northwest Indiana, yeah, it's a major problem. You know, they're there, um, but when you get to some of those like really good prairie soils, say central Illinois or so, where where they haven't seen the problem as much, but they're there, and they're looking at, you know, how how can we get from our great yield level to an exceptional yield level? Well, this might be one of the things, one of the levers that you pull that your 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 good ground is masking some of the damage, but damage is still being done
0: yeah definitely no i i think um you know when i visit with growers today about corn nematodes i i kind of uh i guess frame it in the idea that corn nematodes exist anywhere that we had you know like a a prairie landscape you know they originated off of that that you know root mass that the prairie grasses gave Mm -hmm. and so basically that's everywhere that we raise corn today and so they they originated there and then they've adapted to be able to you know take on corn as a host because Corn's grown Mm -hmm. in a lot of those areas. But just to your point, Mary, we see it. We see the damage more exceptionally on sandy soils because if you Mm -hmm. damage the root system and you don't have as much water hanging around, yeah, it's going to show up an awful lot worse in terms of the yield penalty there. But I think, yeah, just to what you spoke to besides that. I guess that narrative that that I will share with folks, we, we have the data to back that up. And that's in large mm-hmm. part due to you know, the role that you occupy today as the agronomy research manager. You take, you know, Carl's conjecture and, and Brian's opinion on a subject and you say, how can we validate that? Or what is that next frontier um, to advance the ball on a subject that growers either are talking about or they need to be thinking about in the next, you know, upcoming crop uh, seasons and what those management decisions should be. So I think I think that's such a cool role, and um, you know, getting getting the opportunity to coordinate the thoughts of a lot of people that are considered the expert in their own locale and implement trials. I think that's a that's an especially, uh, I guess, I- important job—one to make sure we're not dropping the ball on anything. And I think you do a great job of you know ensuring that we're focused on the on the right projects and and uh, also gathering feedback from the field on what should we be thinking about if we're not thinking about it today
2: thanks again, Carl. That's really the fun part of my job. Um, I have, I believe, 54 agronomists in the Eastern Commercial Unit that I work with. So I cover uh, the East Coast uh, through through Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, and then I go up to Wisconsin and Minnesota. So um, a lot of tremendous people working in a lot of great ideas. And so one of the things that that I get to see here and see is everybody's good ideas. And somebody has a question. It's like, I'd like to do this trial out in the field to answer this question. And okay, well, so and so two states over is having the same problem um, in their fields too. Let's get a trial together and and leverage the, the the pioneer footprint and get a bunch of locations out there. And then you have somebody like me who's kind of who who doesn't have other field responsibilities that I've kind of got the time to to analyze data and help with write ups and everything. And so most importantly of all, like you said before, that knowledge transfer that we don't just do the plots, but we do the plots and get that back as actionable information to our customers.
0: Most definitely. So, Mary, we touched on a couple subjects that you're considered an expert on. Uh, I've asked this to a few other agronomists. What what's a question um, or what's a subject that you don't get asked enough about that you feel is important to crop production? And like you said, you cover so many different environments, out from the Del Marva, you know, to the Driftless Area, you know, high productivity soils in Central Illinois. You know, folks like me in Northwest Indiana. Um, what what's something that you feel like is is maybe important to growers or something that you feel is important but you don't you don't get the opportunity to speak about it as much as you'd like
2: oh boy um need to think for a second about that um one thing i get asked about it sometimes um but but a point that i i think that could really help help farmers that they don't think about a lot is, um, insect thresholds in soybeans. Yeah. Um, if you look at all of our individual insect pressure pressure thresholds for all the leaf feeding beetles and everything, um, we've got a, a threshold for Japanese beetle. We have a threshold for bean leaf beetle. Um, we have all these thresholds And really you need to look at your overall pressure because you might be subthreshold on every single pest, but when you take them all together, um, they're doing damage out in your field and you will see a yield bump um, in response to a fungicide application. Um, The other thing, uh, everybody needs sulfur. Uh, we talk about that a lot as agronomists, but that's my. it, it doesn't matter what your soil test says. The sulfur is yeah. not going to be where your crop can get it uh, at the beginning. So everybody needs sulfur. That's my other
0: one. Um, you know, th- those are great. Yeah, some things that maybe you walk on the farm and you take for granted, um, you know, aren't common practice everywhere. And when you get to traverse so many different uh, acres, you know, from coast to the Mississippi River, uh, there's, yeah, there's lots of opportunities to kind of glean. <laughs> Lena, uh, you know, sharing some of that information. Yeah, one
2: one of the things that as I as I take on my new geography to the west, uh, realizing not everything is like Indiana. It's like, what 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 do you mean that your pH starts with an eight? I've never heard of this before. <laughs> sure, you you don't you're not applying lime. What what what's going on here? So so yeah, that's uh that that's one of the things is is realizing as you get into different parts of the country that the parent material is different and Mm -hmm. and uh, there's going to be some some differences in fairly major agronomic practices. So it's fun to see, though, too.
0: Yeah, that stuff we don't care about so much like iron deficiency, chlorosis. That's a big deal to those folks up there. Oh, Uh,
2: yeah. But, yeah. but we
0: share things like white mold, you know, and things like soybean cyst nematode. So there's there's more things uh-huh. that make us the same than make us different. But, yeah, it's that right. nuance that that I yeah. think that that's where the value mm-hmm. comes in. Uh, Mary, we've talked we've talked a, a little bit about work today. Um, you engage in a number of different hobbies, though. Uh, so maybe maybe share with folks beyond just, you know, who you are in the boots on the ground you represent. What are the things you do in your free time?
2: Um, I I. Uh... I long distance I'm a long distance runner. I am not a fast long distance runner, but I am in. I I am a happy long distance runner. So, um, I'm d- at, at the time of this uh, recording. I'm uh, training for the Indianapolis Mini Marathon. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, uh, miles six through eight and a half are around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So that's kind of a cool uh-huh. race. And like running in five Ks and that and. And running's kind of one of those things that uh, if you're in a big race, unless you're one of about three people in the world, you're not going to win. So you're just you're out there and you're running to enjoy it. And I really I love the big races. I've run the Chicago Marathon twice, and and so yeah, the bigger the better with more crowds and everything. It's just it is so much fun. And and yes, I am in the I am in the last half of finishers, and we're always the ones kind of uh, applauding ourselves at the end, saying, "Hey, we made it." Um, so that that's one of my hobbies. Um, my husband and I uh, like to travel and hike a lot. So the last couple of years, we've been taking some time to uh, go out to the national parks out west. Sure. So we did a Grand Grand Canyon rafting trip this last year and hiked out of the canyon. Um, uh, this year, we're hitting some of the smaller parks uh, out west like uh, Mesa Verde and, and Great Sand Dunes. So I'm really excited about that.
0: Good deal, Uh, Mary. I'm curious. Have you always been a runner? Is that something that you took up at a certain age? What What's what? Tell us your running story.
2: I I no. I was not an athlete in high school, and and I kind of wish I had been. But you know, but my advice to all kids who want to start running is, you know, it's it's going to be awful for about two weeks, and then you're going to get used to it. And too often, um, kids in sports get told, okay, we're going to run two miles. Well, you can't run two miles right off the bat. You need to work up to it. And anyways, uh, Dr. Weller, who was my uh, advisor in uh, grad school, um, was a big runner, and I'd hear him talk about running, and I started doing just a little bit of running and entered my first 5K when I was in grad school. And then um, as I just kind of as I got older, I really enjoyed it and started entering more races and then thought, you know, I'd really like to try, try half marathon. And once I did the half marathon, well, you know, maybe I want to try a full marathon. So um, that that's kind of how it developed. And it's, I, I, I like, I'm not a good early morning runner. I actually like to run after work and it's kind of makes the boundary between work and home, which is, which is good to have something that does that when you work from a home office.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Mary, is the Boston on your bucket list? Are you in the throes of qualifying for that and everything <laughs> that goes into that?
2: No, I am I am watching the Boston Marathon on Twitter right now. So I have my phone set to updates. I am not nearly fast enough <laughs> to to qualify for Boston. Um I yeah, Boston, I think a woman my age needs like an eight minute mile. And I've run one eight minute mile in my life. So um yeah, I I, I would love to, but I, I think that's probably a bit beyond my ability.
1: Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary, we, we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, I know you've given uh, Dan a shout out, but I, I wonder if the uh, if the cats in your clan might be offended as they listen back to this podcast with you, uh, if, they, if they aren't recognized here.
1: They're That's part true. of, they're honorary members of the agronomy team, aren't they, Carl? I mean, they make appearances <laughs> on conference calls and things like that. Absolutely. They
2: do, they do. Uh, one of them uh, ha- has a habit of staring directly into my camera when I don't realize he's on the desk. Um, so yeah, we have three cats. That's our only livestock. They're extremely spoiled and they have Dan and I extremely well trained.
0: (laughs) Very good. Well, Mary, this has been a lot of fun. We appreciate you taking time to, to, you know, give the peek behind the curtain in the spirit of getting to know your pioneer agronomist, uh, is there anything that you want to leave uh, our listeners with today? We touched a little bit on running advice. You can go from the couch potato to 5K, um, you know, at any stage of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's a good one. So uh, depending on when this episode airs, you know, that that could be something to do, uh, you know, for those of you that are getting out of the cab and, uh, you know, running some long hours, some long days uh, might be might be worth trying to pick up a little bit of running I- itself. But anything else mm-hmm. that you want to leave folks with, Mary?
2: You know, I, I've been blessed to meet so many good farmers over my career and a lot of them who I, who I consider friends and mentors. And a while ago on a podcast, I got asked, you know, what, what, what's your one piece of advice for farmers to be successful? And like, there, there's so many things that they're working on that they've got to be good at. But one thing that I have found is that successful farmers are the ones willing to consider change. And evaluate it not not just go willy-nilly into any new idea but to really look at change and say you know is this going to be good for my farm and the people who can adapt to change and grow are the people who i think are really going to be successful so just be open to change and uh, and, and and doing things in new ways
0: oh, that's great well Mary, Dr. Gums, friend of the pod, uh, we appreciate your time on the Indiana Pioneer Me podcast. Uh, for folks that uh, enjoyed this conversation and would like to follow along with uh, what you do, whether it's running the cats, baking, um, or you know parts of the day job, uh, where would you recommend they do so?
2: Um, I'm on Twitter at Dr. Gums.
0: Very good. And uh, Mr. Schrader, for folks that wanna see what's happening in Northeast Indiana,
1: uh, where might you recommend they follow along? Probably the best place to be Instagram, B underscore K underscore Schrader. And for you, Carl, how about you?
0: On Twitter at C Jorn and on Facebook at C Jorn Agronomy. Uh, folks, thanks for joining us today on the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy podcast. Hope you enjoyed our continuation of this Getting to Know Your Agronomist series. We look forward to visiting with you next time. And until then, be safe. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.